Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies tv shows comics video games and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it i am chris Hanna. with me of course is my co-host brian brecker how are you doing today brian awesome because we got to watch two fantastic horror movies today uh lord well, of illusions one. directed by clive barker and american psycho directed by mary heron I mary heron h-a-r-r-o-n yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this is of course another installment of the rocket ship roulette segment where Brian is trapped in space because oh, um, I'm something? trapped in space because a bunch of aliens abducted me and right. now they're forcing me to watch all these movies. However, it's becoming increasingly clear that these aliens may be something else, perhaps from another dimension different from our own. I have yet to actually make any real observations of this, but it's a working theory. Also, this is totally not a ripoff of the basic plot setup of Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's completely different, guys! We are in a rocket ship, it's not a bone-shaped spaceship. Or on the moon. We're not on the moon, either. No. So we're completely different and at least legally distinct. The best exactly. kind of distinct. <laughs> um, uh, which, by the way, also, um, you're not on the ship. I'm on the ship. Yeah, it's just Brian who is on the ship. I am just uh, in my regular house as well and also watching these movies because I don't, I don't know. Oh, you have to watch the movies because if, they, if you don't, then they'll take away all the oxygen from my tank. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause you're being mm. held hostage. We're, but it's a, but they, we're, they're remarkably chill about the deadlines. So don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So Chris, which movie do you want to talk about today? Well, let's let's talk about Lord of Illusions first, cause I have it first in my notes. So Chris, you didn't understand this movie at all. No, I just I don't know what it is, but I felt like I just felt like I couldn't really follow it. It felt like it just suddenly cut between a lot of stuff. And I just really couldn't get into it. I feel I like a lot of the ideas present, but it just didn't click with me. I'd also like to out the fact that you thought that there was something sexual going on with the baboon. <laughs> when the baboon was just there to threaten the young girl. Okay, it's fucking Clive Barker. Weird, kinky, chain sex stuff is his entire modus operandi. Like... Oh, Kirsty. So eager to play. So reluctant to admit it. Perhaps you're teasing us. 
Are you teasing us? And also this bodes incredibly poorly because we have a lot more abstract and experimental films that we may come in contact with. So I'm greatly anticipating Chris's <laughs> interpretation of those. I think. The movie starts, of course, with a, an opening scroll. It's sort of like a, some text. And yeah. The text introduces the basic theme and universe because there's like two realms of magic there are two worlds of magic (laughs) one is a glittering domain of the illusionist the other is a secret place where magic is a terrifying reality here men have the power of demons and death itself is an illusion except i'm fairly certain we only ever really see the first one uh, you know, they say they're, they they open this with the idea of seeing two worlds, the two worlds of magic, but I'm like, is this all about illusionists, though, and how they're all secretly evil or something? No, that's, no, okay, Chris, it's about illusion and magic, and how, like, yeah, one yeah. is, like, a magician's trick, and the other one's real magic. Those are the two worlds of magic. Yeah, but all the magicians we see are illusionists. And the idea later is that, like, all magic is an illusion and all miracles well, are Well, except for Swan. Swan is using actual magic. Oh, okay. They establish that in the movie. Okay, yeah, but it's there's contradictory information within the film itself. Like, I think you're just getting tied up in your own web of un- misunderstandings, <laughs> which bodes well for this discussion. Um, so, of course, Harry Damore is a character in a lot of Clive Barker's short stories and novels who is a paranormal investigator and a private investigator. He shows up in the Hellraiser comics, and in the novel, this is based off of The Last Delusion. Um, so, yeah, and the movie starts. Would you like to describe how the movie starts? So there's this desert in the, the Mojave Desert, in 1982, there's this guy who, I don't know why, but he reminded me of Kelsey Grammer for some reason. He doesn't look him... like Kelsey Grammer. Drift trip through It's a Small World, pretending I was a UN interpreter. <laughs> I don't know. I to, I, he kind of looks like, you know, Cheers era. You're talking about Nyx, right? The evil magician yeah. Nyx. To me, he just looks like an evil Jeff Lebowski from The Big Lebowski. Yeah, but he's fa- he's he's got a big... He's, he's, he's got a big frame. Well, of... so, does, so does Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski. Are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? Well, wait, wait let, me, let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. Yeah, but, I mean, he's got a gut, but, like... Yeah. So I'd like to say that the, the soundtrack by Simon Boswell is very good on this movie. It's uh, pretty it's, good, yeah. It's a lot of fluttering, kind of creepy mystery music, because really this movie isn't really much of a horror film. It's more of a magical noir thriller, I think. Which is a good idea on paper. I don't know how well it works in execution. So there's a chubby guy that plays with fire, and he baptizes uh, some people. And he refers to... The Puritan. Yes, he's like next the Puritan. The who will cleanse the world. Um, and this one guy with a one eye color that's different from the other, his name is Butterfield, and he is obviously not a gay man, despite wearing gold pants and tight shirts, definitely not intended to be a gay man. So there's a bunch of teenagers that are all coming up on Nick's, and the reason why yeah. is because uh, they discovered that he was using children and other people as human sacrifices. And they were former students of Nick, so they were yeah. trying to learn magic from him. Okay, cause, so the thing about the... And this sort of speaks to one of my problems with the movie. Th- these people have... Like, it's obvious they have a previously established relationship, but it feels like the audience is expected to not only know that, but know all the details of said relationship, even though this is like... There was no, like, prior movie. It's called In Medias Res, Chris. Yeah, but like, but Inmedius Res operates on the idea of 
intrigue and the point is you're not supposed to know who they are so you find out later except right that's what happens like, in the movie yes and no like yes yes and yes but also it feels like within the context of that scene the audience is expected to know and care about who these people are and what their prior relationship is except there's been nothing established about it um, well it's a it's a really cool opening scene it sets the conflict for the rest of the movie because it's about them going and murdering Nix and then taking revenge on him. And he, of course, is not actually dead because he's magical. So he eventually wants to come back and get revenge on them. And that's what the entire plot is about. I think that this isn't that hard to understand at all. Okay, so there is uh, the main teenager, Swan, uh, the African-American one who is named uh, Ben. And then there's Jennifer. And uh, the girl that is being chained up and being attacked by a baboon, that woman is Dorothea. Now, she is a child here and is later revealed to be uh, the woman that was chained up because she ends up marrying Swan later in the movie. Yeah, that that's a thing that happens. They go in and there's all these like really cool set design stuff. Like there's like chicken skeletons and like rib cages everywhere. It looks like a set of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. I just saw movie. a bunch of bones. It just looked like... Uh house in the desert with some bones like, that's in, in, obviously <laughs> influenced by the texas chainsaw massacre which had a house in the desert with bones 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 the ultimate jedi who wastes all the other jedi is eating up all their bones all their bones It's almost like I have no interest in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, except for the second one, which is amazing. You haven't seen the first one, and the first one's one of the greatest horror films ever made. So the other people know about the teens, and uh, because they were members of the magician's cult. Quaid, right. um, so the main teenager finds the girl inside, uh, the one that's being chained up, and the magician guy, Nix. He uh, turns around and he's like strung up on this giant rib cage thing and he's like, fuck you. So then he flies at him with awesome special effects and then sticks his fingers inside his brain and makes them see flesh how God sees it. And what that means is he sees other people's flesh disintegrate and then turn into weird ghoulishly purple string monsters. And it's amazing. And Wait, I love it. Wait, was that supposed to be a God thing? I thought it was just like zap. No, Chris, he says he he says in the scene, I will show you flesh how God sees it. Okay, maybe I should have had subtitles on for this. Maybe that would have helped because that's because <laughs> I feel like I've clearly missed a lot of apparently important dialogue that I just don't remember. Now, if we get into the lore here, this this god or deity may be Leviathan or perhaps the unknown god of heaven, which canonically exists which in, within the Hellraiser Lord of Illusions universe. Um, which I think are the same thing, because in the Hellraiser sequel comics, Harry Damore shows up, and it seems like the people in Hell already know about him. But that's just my fan theory. Swan sees their flesh rip apart, and uh, he is told by Nix he has to share the power, and it sends warpy air things through his head, and then, of course, he gets shot by the kid behind him. Yeah. Um, Nix is shot by Ben, who's the African-American one, who gives him the bind, and the bind is one of the leftovers from the magical period of the mystics. And he puts this thing on his face, and uh, when he cuts his thumb, the yeah, blood... Yeah, the weird muzzle thing. Yeah. yeah, the weird muzzle thing. The blood makes the, the drills turn, and it 
seals in his face. They put on the mouthpiece also. It's an amazing looking prop. It's so cool. It's pretty good. Swan comforts the child as they prepare to bury Nyx in the ground. And then, uh, and the guy with one eye that's different from the other, his name is Butterfield. And he escapes and screams at the screen. And then the movie starts officially now 13 years later in New York. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Did they show the time card? Because it took me a while to actually pick up that there was yes, a time Yes, they showed card. the time card. Okay, did I? I guess I just missed that, or my copy didn't show it, or something? All right, guys, I, I have a drinking game at home. <laughs> Every time Chris missed something about Lord of Illusions, <laughs> take a drink. Okay, don't do that. You will literally die. I don't want to be held legally responsible for any alcohol-induced deaths. It also doesn't help that I may have been, you know, I had a negative attitude going in because I had to watch this using uh, a service called Pluto TV, which if you don't know what it is, don't use it because it is the worst streaming service I have ever used. It's terrible. Pluto the, TV is fine. What are you talking no, about? No, it's not. It doesn't even have a fucking search function. Just Google the name of the movie and then go on Pluto TV. No, you can't. You can't search for the movie. I know. Google on Pluto the TV service. and the movie's name. Yeah, I. <laughs> okay, it's not just that though. Because also, it's also the service, like the app on the, my You know my the TV. app also had closed captions, right? Well, okay, well, I wouldn't know that because I actually couldn't use the app for it. Because when I tried to go from the live TV to the, the free movies and stuff, the app crapped out on me for no fucking reason. Why didn't you so just I had use to go a smart the, TV? That's what I was using! The oh. app on my smart TV crapped out. When I tried, I had no problems with Pluto TV. Well, I did. It sucks. Don't use it. It's terrible. It sounds. It sounds like this movie didn't get a fair shake. That's. I'm okay. suing you, Chris. Look, you're not entirely wrong, but that doesn't change the fact that I do have my problems with this movie, regardless of the terrible streaming service I used to watch. Where do you go when you drop into Pluto TV? <laughs> to a place far, far away from other TV. Okay, fine. Well, um, private paranormal investigator Harry Damore, played, of course, by Scott Bakula, who's the, the leading man in Star Trek Enterprise and Quantum Leap. I put in my notes when he first showed up, and now not Kurt Russell is here. Yes. Scott Bakula, otherwise known as when he has blood and dirt in his face, he looks a bit like beaten up Harrison Ford. Scott Bakula. And he also has Kurt Russell's hair from the 80s. He does. Yeah. He's given a job, and uh, he's wearing, like, these suspenders and stuff. He's like a noir yeah, kind of investigator. A, he's a detective dude. And this he's bald man comes up, and he's like, I got a job for you, Mr. Harry Damore. You're going to go to mm -hmm. L.A. You're going to investigate this guy for insurance fraud or whatever. My name is Burt Macklin. Yeah. I'm with the... FBI. Basically, uh, so Harry Damore is mostly known for his investigations into paranormal phenomena, including an exorcism, which we get a hilarious flashback of. This movie's not really scary. Like, it's yeah, more fun it and interesting it's just, it's to just, me. It's, it, I wouldn't call, like, the gory and, like, imagery scary. I would just call it weird. It's, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> Good weird. Harry Damore is, first off, divorced. Very important that we know that. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. So he he's asked about his previous job, and he's like, was the kid possessed? He's like, probably. <laughs> By what? <laughs> the usual. The usual. So it's weird that this random bald man comes to him just a seemingly regular case of insurance fraud. Right. Well, he <laughs> does that because he's trying to get him out of the regular stuff that he gets himself found in, you know. Oh, he's trying to yeah. He's trying to give him some stability. 
Uh, Bisley Swan is a magician now. Swan from the beginning. Uh, he's driving by and there's a sign of him. So he's become a magician now. So Harry is investigating a douchebag named Tapert. Yeah, he stakes out this like stripper house. And Tapert runs out of a motel afraid and Damore finds bloody footprints and a man impaled inside. Now that's Ben, the African-American that shot that shot Nix before. Oh, that's who that guy was. Although um... Nix was shot and killed by the little girl. Yeah, because there's the, yeah, because the, he goes into that like someone's like apartment or like some sort of like like it's like a tiny house or something like some what, building. Are, what are you talking about bang, bang, i'm losing it bun down shoe mustard pan bun now mr krabs i am so confused like he goes to the there's the black man strapped to the chair and he's got all these knives in him. And there's the bald guy who threatens the is this the part where the like the bald guy shows up and threatens him at knife point Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's a guy with razor-sharp teeth that attacks him, and Harry knocks him out with a phrenology skull. Phrenology, of course, being the basis of pinheads, you know, needle-like uh, tattooing and stuff like that. So, again, I think I think they're in the same universe, guys. Um, it's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. So uh, Butterfield is there and is totally not gay in his skin-tight shirt. He is taking vengeance on the murder of the magician Nyx, and I think it's kind of implied that he was in love with Nyx, although Nyx seems to be more in love with Swan. His hairline is so bad, Swan. <laughs> like, he, he's trying to pull off, like, this long hair mullet thing, but it's very <laughs> obvious that it's, like, receding. Harry throws uh, sharp teeth out a window, but Ben stops Harry from chasing after uh, Butterfield. Ben reads his palm and tells him that he's drawn to the dark side, okay? Um, and he tells him that there's something terrible coming and dies. Of course, the thing that's terrible coming is Nyx. Something like, it is your destiny. And I'm like, to do what? It's your destiny to do what? <laughs> it's Harry Demore's destiny to investigate the paranormal. Okay, So one of fine. Ben's tarot cards was several knives. And that's super cool because it's like, oh shit, his tarot card predicted his own death. Oh my god. That damn. shit's crazy. Sharp teeth after falling out of a three-story window yeah, gets up and walked away. Because uh, when they go outside, they see that he's not there, but there's like a blood print still left there. So Sharp Teeth and Butterfield talk about Harry Demore together and they're like, what are we going to do about this guy? You know, he seems to know what he's doing and shit. And the other guy's like, well, I've heard of him before because, you know, Harry Demore is kind of a known entity in the Barkerverse. The Barkerverse. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Well, I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books and does that include clive barker clive barker's jericho by clive barker <laughs> yes <laughs> so uh he goes to see mrs swan and mrs swan is dorothea from the beginning the yeah. girl that was chained up that shot and killed nicks which isn't entirely clear if in the because i because when i saw it, it's like oh it's this woman in a white dress okay, right well they they um, they reveal it later in the movie yeah so Mrs. Swan, otherwise known as Dorothea, who is now married to Swan, the guy with the terrible hairline that is now a magician, uh, offers Harry Demore some coffee. We are introduced to an older Mr. Swan, still has terrible hair, <laughs> and he tells her what happened to Quaid. And I think Quaid is Ben. Yeah, Quaid is probably Ben's last name, if I'm remembering correctly. So Mr. Swan is planning a new illusion because he knows that, you know, shit's going down and that, like, <laughs> Nix is probably coming back from the dead. 
Um, now, we don't know this now, but uh, later on we realize the next scene was actually him faking his own death so that he could protect Dorothea from Nick's returning so that his spirit would not know that, uh, you know, Swan was still alive. He would think that he was dead and thus not take vengeance on his family. Uh-huh. So let's get to that scene. What do you um, think of the scene where the magician gets fucking stabbed to death? Okay, well, or so, does be- he? So, so before that happens, I'd also like to point out that I guess Damore is polyreligious. Because, like, he's yeah. a, it's like, you can never have too many saviors. <laughs> yeah, well, Harry Tamore is like, yeah, I was part of all these different cults. I was part of, like, Christianity. I was a Catholic. I was a Buddhist. I was even part of the Moonies. The Moonies <laughs> are cults in South Korea that have very interesting teachings. Y'all go Google Moonies, just so you know. But that's an ongoing theme in Clyde Barker's work, which is that all religions get part of it wrong and that the reality of how the universe works is much more frightening and scary while some of the truth still being real. Oh, so it's like it's so it's mm-hmm. it's sort of like the good place if the good place were really terrifying. Exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> exactly what it's like. Well, th- well, then again, the, a lot of the stuff in the good place is actually existentially horrifying when you start to think about it. Go watch The Good Place. It's, it's a good show. The Good Place is fantastic. So Dorothea asks the housekeeper, Valentin, to find Harry Damore. So Harry Damore shows up at the magic show, and Swan starts using some actual magic yeah, to fly. Yeah, so we have the... So so the magic show happens, and I, I wrote two things about... I wrote... Uh, Temple of Doom, the Broadway musical. I don't know why. what. I don't Explain know. Explain your notes, Chris. I don't know why my mind jumped because I think a there was some weird tribal imagery, if I remember correctly, and also it reminded me of the dance sequence. Yeah, it's like this weird because both like the colors in the dance sequence are yeah because really cool. it reminded me of both some of the weirdly racist shit um in Temple of Doom, but also mainly the opening dance sequence from that movie if anyone remembers where i think this might yeah. be a tenuous connection i don't know but i i see what you mean i was <laughs> looking for any con- i don't know i could not connect with this movie on and i i was trying to find something i was trying to think of something familiar um and and i also wrote chris angel mind freak <laughs> well that's the whole point of the show yeah. in my opinion is that the aliens are trying to find movies for you that are unfamiliar <laughs> to you i think <laughs> Because I've seen a lot of these movies before. It's kind of weird that the aliens would keep sending me these movies because I'm like, Lord of Illusions. You act like I haven't seen that twice, you know? But I think the real test subject is you, Chris. How do you know there aren't aliens watching you watch these movies and feeding off of your confusion? Maybe that's how they survive. They just feed off the metaphysical confusion of other people. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's some really really deep shit, man. (laughs) I don't know. So in this performance, the statue looks a lot like the statue of Baphomet from Nightbreed. Oh, is that what that was supposed to be? I think so, because that thing looks a lot like the... If you watch the ending of Nightbreed, spoilers for Nightbreed, they come across the god or one of the deities within the Barkerverse, which is Baphomet. And Baphomet... Oh, you know, that's what was reminding me of Temple of Doom. Because of the big yeah. statue. I was like, oh, it's like that thing that uh, the, the chief guy stands on when he rips that guy's heart out. So I just love this scene. The cinematography is fantastic. I do have some problems with this movie. Uh, My problems are mostly that one, it's kind of long. It's 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 almost two hours long. Yeah, Um, it's it's over two hours long. It's like two hours 15. I think Scott Bakula's performance could have been a bit better, but he's better in this than he was in like Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, I like Scott Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula and and, uh, 
whoever Nix's actor is, um, the not Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, I don't like Nix's actor. I think he was miscast because he doesn't come across scary to me. He comes across like that weird guy that you live next to that always wears speedos when he goes <laughs> in his pool. You know? Exactly, Kelsey Grammer. That's who. That's that's who he reminds me of. So anyway, <laughs> Swan gets strapped into the spinning wheel beneath several spinning swords. Um, so Butterfield and Sharp Teeth show up, and he gets his pick out of like his mm. hand, and he starts to free his hand and his face but the arm gets struck by the sword that falls and his legs do also and then his side and his stomach and he supposedly dies yeah he dies i wrote in my notes swan is dead now because it was like oh i guess he's dead um quote unquote dies and i love i love how they unveil the truth of this plot element because at first you think oh he died maybe it was like a suicide thing or maybe he was like sabotaged because then they go in underneath the contraption and they find where the wires have been broken later on we find out that the housekeeper valentin was actually the one that broke the wire to make it look like the thing had been sabotaged when really it was swan performing an illusion to make it look like he had died oh harry goes underneath and uh he finds the two guys butterfield and sharp teeth and he gets hit in the face with a two by four (laughs) which is hilarious he thinks that butterfield or maybe sharp teeth killed the guy but they're like we don't know who killed him who do you think killed him (laughs) yeah and there's also a gunfight that happens Um, uh so dorothea shows up and at at the police station. yeah they show up at the police station afterwards because she's like what the fuck is what the fuck just happened and harry goes over to talk with her and harry then gets sent to the magic club and i love the magic club because all the magicians are so colorful. No, okay, so I really like this scene. I also really like how as he's walking to the magic club, club the magic moments is playing in the background. Yes, that's fantastic. <laughs> so this place is called the Magic Castle. And it's like the gang hangout of all the magicians. Yeah, they have this whole like secret society. Cue the Arrested Development music whenever yeah. the magicians We demand to be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Job recently started the Alliance of Magicians, an organization that blackballs any performer who reveals a magician's secret. So the other illusionists disparage Swan's work and accuse Harry of being a journalist. And uh, one of them, uh, Vinovich, says that all magic rides a thin line between, uh... between divinity and trickery. Ah, yeah, divinity and trickery. Harry hears this and is like, huh, sounds like you might know something more, Vinovich. And, and Vinovich all... is like... Get out of here! I do not want to see you anymore! And then, this is my favorite part. Tries to claim that uh, saints and messiahs were, like, all illusions. Yes. He's like, (laughs) show me any saint or miracle, and I could replicate it easily with a bit of preparation. So then, when they all storm out, because, you know, they're magicians and they're secretive and they don't like this intrusion, Harry Damore comes back and says, that's a nice accent. What is it, Brooklyn? And then Vinovich turns around and breaks his accent. It's like, hey, fuck you, all right? No, my personal, I, that's good. <laughs> my personal favorite is when uh, Damore is, like, asking about about Swan. And Vinovich is just like, if he's so good, why he's so dead? <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that line very much. <laughs> that is a good line. Um, so one magician, Billy, stops to tell Harry about Nyx and his secret cult and believes Nyx taught Swan magic, and Billy gives him his card. So Harry, uh, there's a great scene where Harry's outside, and he asks a bird, what are you looking at? Oh, and yeah, that does happen. This goes nowhere, but I just love it. It totally gets Harry Demore's character, because Harry Demore walks straight out of a noir <laughs> novel, literally. Yes.
My name is Peter Parker. In my universe, it's 1933, and I'm a private eye. I like to drink egg creams, and I like to fight Nazis. A lot. Sometimes I let matches burn down to my fingertips just to feel something, anything. Oh. Harry has some nightmares, and then Harry asks Dorothea about Nick's. Valentin picks up the phone and starts listening in on them, and then Dorothea denies knowing anything about Nick's. So... Yeah. Harry then breaks into Ben's apartment and looks around, and he finds a hidden compartment with notes on Desiderio. Desiderio is yeah, the yeah. last Jennifer, name of Jennifer, Jennifer one of the Desiderio. teenagers. Yeah. Yes. So he finds Valentinen, who was there and was looking for him. Uh, so Harry, uh, Valentinen gives him $30,000 to stop the investigation <laughs> yes. because it involves Nick's. And, and Harry Damore has that great, like, you know, I'm a police detective, but he's not actually police. You know, I'm a detective, and I'm not going to stop this case moment. You know, I'm a private no eye. I, I, I do my, I do my follow through. So Jennifer is in the St. Ignatius Sanitarium. Yeah. And Harry asks about a man named Butterfield. She stops when he mentions Swan and calls him a liar that couldn't protect them from Nick's. Uh, by the way, she's in a sanitarium because people thought she was insane. Because yeah, because she's, she's supposedly losing her grip on reality. But really, she just has incredibly realistic fears. But but here's the thing. Because she's a woman, that means right. it's hysteria, clearly. Exactly. <laughs> so she sees someone digging in a grave and has a panic attack because she remembers when they buried Nyx in the ground and tells Harry that Nyx is out to get them and that uh, he's digging his way out. So then Jennifer <laughs> runs into the street and is conveniently hit by a car. This is another thing I don't really like is like some like Jennifer's death just was just like out of nowhere. Yeah, Jennifer kind of just gets introduced and then like dies immediately mm. for seemingly <sighs> no reason. And um, no one has any reaction to her getting completely destroyed by a truck. Just like it's just another day. <laughs> uh, so Harry calls Billy to get into the repository at the Magic Castle because he believes that Vinovich knew more than he was letting on. Yeah. So Harry finds a symbol that was carved on Butterfield's friend's head on, and presses on it, opening up a secret booby trap. And one of my favorite lines here is he's like, it's hokey, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely hokey. Oh, yeah. So Billy gets the files as Harry holds open the booby trap um, and they find an old photo of Nick's, the right. Puritan. Yeah. Now, Vinovich knew about the old documents, and that's why when they brought up Nix, he, like, went out so quickly. Uh, because he knew that there was some bullshit going on. Yeah, you know? yeah. So then a hilarious brain monster projection. Oh, yeah, that's where like, the zombie thing happens. <laughs> it's a projection meant to scare whoever's coming near it. Oh, it's a, but... oh, it's, it, it's just a, pro I thought that was just a random zombie who was in the movie for no reason. <laughs> Chris, they literally look at the projector and shoot it, and then it goes away. Uh, okay. You need to rewatch this movie. I, I don't. I don't feel. Yeah, but then I have to use Pluto TV again, and I don't want to. <laughs> so this is where I wrote in my notes. I think this movie is good, but it's not really scary in the same way that Hellraiser or Nightbreed are. I well, I wouldn't consider. Okay, so I I love Nightbreed. I think it's a fantastic movie. I wouldn't exactly consider Nightbreed scary. I think there's some scary moments. It's got like horror themes. Like it's about like these monsters and stuff but like mm -hmm. it's more about their pre again it's it's kind of it's it's weirdly x it's very x-men-esque in a lot of ways kind of yeah like it's kind it's low-key the best x-men movie ever made um maybe as yeah. as a gay person i find the um you know coded homophobic villain very okay well i mean like okay if you, if you're if we're talking about like larger played by david cronenberg if we're okay if we're discussing in terms of how you know the hierarchy of power 
disproportionately, you know, has a negative impact on the disenfranchised and minorities, then yeah, it's very terrifying. But, you know, if we're talking about, like, traditional horror versions of what's scary, it's not exactly... Nightbreed is not really something I would consider a traditionally scary movie. It's scary stuff. It's more like, think about it kind of thing. I guess so. I think your ranking of these three movies would go Nightbreed, Hellraiser, and then Lord of Illusions. Oh, yeah. Right? 100%. Mine would go Hellraiser, Nightbreed, Lord of Illusions. Because I think Hellraiser is Clive's best movie. Well, I, 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 I like the first Hellraiser, but I don't even think it's the best Hellraiser movie. I still, I prefer Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. I agree. Hellbound is awesome. So I think... In a lot of ways, horror is a lot like comedy. It's very personal and subjective what you do and do not find funny, and I think the same thing can be said about horror. I would agree, which also, mm-hmm. I think, also makes both genres difficult to review in a lot of cases. Like, Because right. whenever people talk about comedy, it's like, well, how can I review a good comedy without giving away all the jokes? Like, <laughs> Right, exactly. Weirdly similar with horror, actually. Like, yeah. I mean, we go through and we talk about all the plots, so we are giving everything away. But yeah, I think, but like, um, if if we were to try and do this as a non-spoiler review, which we don't even bother right. um, ever. Well, I mean, we'll give a spoiler warning if it's like new. Right. Like we spoiler, put a spoiler warning. War- we, like we put a spoiler warning on Shira, and I put a spoiler warning on Suf, and I'll put a I'll put a spo- like I will put a spoiler warning if something is new. But like for right. stuff like this, like this is a movie from 1995 that no one's heard of. Nobody's gonna care about the spoilers. <laughs> Which is bad, because it's, like, a really unique movie, Lord of Illusions is. I mean, it's... I, I will definitely... You've said that you, you haven't seen any movie like this, right? It's definitely a unique movie, certainly. Right. Clyde Barker is nothing if not unique. I will give him that, certainly. Yes. Um. So, uh, anyway, now that we're off that tangent, Harry shows up at yeah. the Swan residence to confront Dorothea, who is at Swan's coffin. Right. And then there's the refrain from earlier, flesh is a trap and oh, magic sets us free. Oh, it was flesh is a I heard pleasure's a trap. And I was no, like, but why, though? You're thinking of Hellraiser. How a did prob- you mishear <laughs> flesh is pleasure? Well, flesh is pleasure. If you have the volume low, why would you have the volume so low? I don't know. I didn't want to. I don't. I don't know. Because at first it was too loud, and I guess when I turned it down, I, <laughs> I couldn't find the right balance. Okay. I like how your part of this conversation is me dissecting how you watch the movie. <laughs> I'm so sorry for this investigation. Why do you have to pick movies that are only on obscure streaming services with terrible UI? Because, Chris, we have to watch Lord of Illusions. It's the last Clyde Barker movie that we haven't seen together. That's true. And that also because is... the aliens chose it. Yes, the, the aliens. <laughs> yes, they, the aliens. So I love how, um, well, I don't love, it's kind of weird how when she's at this coffin, she's like, Dorothea is like very obviously not wearing a bra for all of these scenes. Oh, yeah, that's true. So Valentin listens in on Dorothea explaining Nix's cult because she's finally, like, coming clean. And Dorothea inexplicably has no bra. And then <laughs> Harry and her make out, as any good noir detective does, he makes out with the widow. He makes out with the widow. And then there's a folding with, monster? With the, de- um, with the dead body in the room. With the dead body in the room. Man, Damore has no respect for the dead. Like, <laughs> whatsoever. Well, Damore's been through a lot of shit, okay? I mean, yeah, that's fair. But also, like, you couldn't at least just go into the other room. like. Right. <laughs> and this is where we get the reveal that Dorothea was the little girl who shot Nyx during this conversation. Yeah, that happens. And then there's the weird folding monster thing. Um, oh, yeah, so the strange <laughs> figure goes for Harry, but when it's shot, wraps up into what I can only describe as a CGI origami ball. Yeah, he's some weird origami thing, which does look cool. I will give it. It has some really... 
I will give this movie that has a lot of creative creature design, but it actually uses it. Well, that's actually the spirit of Nyx clawing its way out of it, out of his grave. Oh. Yeah. So is Harry's... that also why there's just the random explosion? Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> so Harry is chased by fire snakes. I love the fire snakes. Fire See, like, snakes. Someone later vomits out a fire snake. So Dorothea touches the figure and it PS ones away. Yeah. You know, PlayStation one. <laughs> yeah, it flies away in a PS one explosion. <laughs> So Harry opens the coffin because he, he's got an inkling something's off here and rips off the fake jaw from the corpse. Oh, no. Swan isn't dead. He faked his death. What? Yes. Oh, my God. The corpse God. was a double. The illusion was rigged to fail by Valentin. So Swan faked his own death to try and protect those he mm. loves. So they go through the funeral anyways, which is hilarious. Yeah, the, yeah they have the funeral after the evil triangles. Um. <laughs> Because they knew, they knew that Mr. Swan would show up to his own funeral. So Harry spots a, a strange guy in, like, a, a hat and a mustache, and he knows that's Swan. So he chases him into this, like, sewer tunnel thing, and uh, finally confronts Swan. Hey, why did you fake your own death? It literally, it, it actually took me probably longer than expected to pick up on the idea that it was Swan faking his own death. Because Swan comes back, and I wrote in my notes, so is Swan a ghost or something? No. <laughs> they literally explained that Swan faked his own death like in the, in the last scene. Harry confronts Mr. Swan, who's levitating a car over Harry's head. And yeah, he that says, does happen. And Harry has this line where he's like, if you loved her so much, why did you widow her? He's like, fuck you, and tries to like squish him with the car, but then Harry escapes. He like jumps out of the way. And so then Harry implores Mr. Swan to help him. You know, you, you gotta help me defeat Nyx, you know? can't do it without you and by the way i think mr swan's actor eh, eh. nightbreed and and hellraiser had really good casting yeah and which led to some very very good performances this is like the guy who plays nix is good scott bacula is good everyone's kind of fine they're you know yeah they're they're fine it's like it's yeah it's another Tuesday, it, you know. It's clear that the, <laughs> the professional relationships and, you know, actual big budget movie making were kind of drying up for Clive at this point, I think. Yeah. Like, people are like, oh, this weird new guy is coming in to make movies. And then when he's on his third movie, they're like, all right, you know. Because weren't there, weren't there already, like, like in terms of, and I know he wasn't, like, involved, but weren't they already up to, like, five Hellraisers by this point? No, they were up to three. Oh, it was only, it was only three. What happens is Butterfield shows up and ambushes Valentin back at the house and straddles his neck. Again, not gay. I really like your shoes. Oh, thanks. I love that top. Oh my God, thank you. Fashion. Fashion. You into that? You gay? Butterfield wants to know where Nyx is buried and Valentin's like, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to tell you. And then he's like, well, what if I scooped out your eyes? And he's like, <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. All right. So Valentin was apparently told at some point by Mr. Swan where Nyx was buried. So Valentin has been digging and he's digging in, in the ground and he can't find Nyx. And then Dorothea escapes and gets a tool to defend herself. Then they find Nyx's arm in the ground. Yeah, right. And Butterfield, mm. again, not being gay, kisses <laughs> Nyx's hand, which the grounds then starts to erupt and Nyx wakes up and then dies. Yeah, so then this is obviously the scene where they have to uh, go to Nyx in the and they have to have the Flash uh, run and touch the mother. Oh, wait, wrong movie. What are you talking about? Are you talking about the resurrection of Superman in Justice League? Maybe. 
Okay, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to end with that stupid joke. I just want... For some reason, I kept thinking of the scene where <laughs> Cyborg and Flash just have a casual conversation where they, well, they dig up a grave. That was a scene that happened in that movie. <laughs> well, the old cultists cut their hair and kiss to celebrate the coming of Nyx. They were yes. like having this weird blood orgy. He will orgy. come. He, he will come. come. He is with us. So Swan and Harry arrive at the dig, and Valentin is dying, and then dies butterfield has strapped down the corpse of nix in preparation for his resurrection so what i think happens is um the mask kept his spirit encased and because he was magical he couldn't be killed oh so it's like the so it's a magical mask like in that movie the mask right so i think he was like reserving his powers until somebody found him and then that's why he then rose up and then died oh so mm -hmm. so so to preserve his body so Butterfield takes off the mask, which is this horribly gruesome, gross scene, because it's this thing that's been on for like 13 years on a corpse. The color starts returning to his body in a really awesome special effect. Mm. So they get this awesome practical zoom effect, because he was shot in the chest, and they go through the bullet wound into his organs, starting to like reanimate. And yeah. I think they did all that practically, and it looks like so good. It puts the Hellraiser resurrection scene it's like it's like a one-up on that it's so cool mm, i don't um, know if i go that far so cool of course you know that's cool. a better movie and <laughs> because it's a better movie it's more iconic when it happens in hellraiser but i think it's yeah. really cool the effect here he is with us and then nix gets up and walks around and asks where swan <laughs> is because he's like obsessed with swan and then nix backhands yeah. butterfield for contradicting him obviously not giving a shit about <laughs> butterfield he just cares about swan which i think there's also like some homoerotic yeah. subtext going on here where, where nix is in love with swan so they kneel on broken glass sure. the occultists do in front of him and nix is way scarier i think post-resurrection than pre would you agree with me? yeah yeah because he's got that like weird face thing going on and he's all like i <laughs> I, I was born to murder the world. <laughs> so Harry and Swan return to the cult house. Butterfield attacks Harry, and then Nyx opens up a portal in the floor and must sacrifice something back to the grave because he's come back, which, again, is very similar to the logic of Hellraiser, where the Cenobites <laughs> need a life to make up for a life given. Is this also the bit where, bit where they do the lights will flicker on and off? <laughs> What does that have to do with this? Well, th th I think they're in the room and the lights flicker on and off. Oh, okay. So I wrote in my notes, the lights will flicker on and off, just like the story. Oh, oh, calm down. Calm down. All right, what was it? There was the lights and the phone and the walls will ooze green slime. Oh, wait, they always do that. Opens up his third eye anus <laughs> this weird tentacle thing comes out and makes it rain on all of them so swan so nix kills all of his cultists deeming them to be unworthy harry finds nix ho holding dorothea like for protection and he drops her and harry grabs onto her hand so swan enters to face nix with all of his poorly poorly done hair glory and uh says this is the line that we mentioned where he, he says i was born, born to, to murder, murder the world, the world. <laughs> Exactly. So fuck? <laughs> Butterfield comes back and attacks Harry. Swan agrees to help Nyx because Nyx is like, you must come to me and you will give me your power. We can rule the world from beyond the grave. Join me and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. Like that. Yeah. 
And it's interesting because in the I was born to murder the world speech, Nick seems to say that he originally got into magic to try and help other people, but then became so enamored by the power that he decided that he wasn't born to save the world as he thought he was before. Like Thanos. Yes. Swan sees Dorothea and uh, he starts to resist, which causes uh, Nyx to get angry and explodes Swan's brain from inside his head. But he's okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, he's fine. (laughs) Butterfield punches a wall and gets electrocuted and dies. Uh, Rest in peace, Butterfield. Press F to pay respects. Butterfield had like two or three false deaths. It was kind of hilarious how many times he got back up to fight. So Nyx enters Harry Damore's mind and makes him see the flesh how God sees it with, you know, the everything ripping apart and stuff like that. Yeah. Dorothea gets the gun again and shoots Nyx in the head right through the third eye, which is awesome. And uh, they think he's dead, but then Nyx stands up and says, One Last Illusion, <laughs> which is, of course, a reference to the title of the novel, the last illusion. Yeah. So Harry asks Swan to help him levitate uh, to try and scare off uh, Nyx. And then pustules escape from Nyx's body and eyes. <laughs> and it's this really cool physical body horror effects that are just awesome. And Harry throws Nyx into the chasm to magma because there's like magma down there because it's going to like the center of the earth. Right. Uh, yeah. Swan doubles over and it's like, is it finished? And then Nick starts destroying the cabin with his magic and levitates. He starts to attack Swan, who may or may not be dead, and rips away his flesh, <laughs> leaving only a skeleton, and then sucking it all in to the uh, to the center of the earth because he wants revenge on Swan. This happens before Nick explodes, of course, right. in the magma. And then the chasm closes, Harry and Dorothy a hug, and we end with him walking away and saying, flesh is a trap and magic sets us free. Right. So, Chris, what did you think of The Lord of Illusions? It had a lot of good ideas. It had a lot of really interesting ideas. I, I just found it... I wish they were executed a little better. And Maybe you should have put on the subtitles. Well, maybe it should have been on a not-shit streaming service. Pluto TV is a free streaming service it's that lets free. you watch a bunch of stuff. Ben, how is that shit? It's free, and it made me feel ripped off because the UI is terrible, um, again, it's, it's, it's clear. We're not, not reviewing stable. Pluto TV, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Pluto TV, zero out of 10. Do not. Where do you go when you drop into Pluto TV? Okay. Well, I think the movie is really imaginative and creative, although it goes on a little bit long and isn't quite as scary or thrilling as some of the other ones. I feel like it falls short of its own ambitions. Is the thing. I could see that, yeah. I think it might a little bit. Um, But besides that, I think it's a genuinely interesting and unique horror film, a mystery noir, and I recommend everybody go and see it at least once. I suppose it might be worth a novelty viewing, but, like... It is worth more than a novelty viewing. It's worth, like, an actual critical viewing, because it's a good movie. Made by one of the most respected authors in horror, As in, by novelty viewing, I mean watch it once just to see it, you know? I thought you meant just watch it as in, oh, what's this weird movie? All right, so now let's talk about American let's Psycho. Let's talk about American Psycho, so we can hopefully I can hopefully get the taste of a truly terrible Harry Potter fan fiction out of my mouth. Uh, so for those of you that weren't <laughs> listening, uh, because I edited that part out, in between then I started stalling and read four chapters of My Immortal to Chris. Stalling? I'm not stalling any. <sighs> All I know is so pain. Chris. Um, what do you think of American Psycho? Okay, good things. We're talking about good things now. American Psycho. This is a great movie. I really yes. enjoyed this movie. 
Um, I love American Psycho. Yeah, it's um, great. It's got a stacked cast. It's got Christian Bale, yeah. Willem Dafoe, Jared Leto yeah. as a female director. It's based off a book by Brett Easton Allen, who's actually yeah. a gay man. And yeah, so let's get right into it. Yeah, so it starts after this uh, very stylistic intro where it's like all white and there's like blood drops and stuff. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. Um, By the way, the title uses the same font as in Paul Allen's business card. Oh, so we cut to this. Uh, so we cut to this fancy rest, this fancy restaurant with a bunch of fast. This talk- is a fancy <laughs> restaurant. Oh God. This is a fancy restaurant. I should have known that was coming. <laughs> so Patrick D- Bateman is at dinner with his co-workers. Yeah, so we're introduced to a bunch of fast-talking 80s businessmen. They're all assholes and sexist and misogynists. They're all assholes and sexist, and they talk fast. As and 80s, racist. And racist. You know, th- 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 80s businessmen. 80s businessmen right. get an 80s businessmen. One of them starts saying mean things about Jewish people, and then Patrick Bateman, the serial killer among them, says, Cool it with the anti-Semitic remarks. Yeah, he's like, he's supposed to be the voice of reason. <laughs> yeah. So they go to a club with co-workers, and yeah. um, he goes over for a drink. And so far, we see him as just, like, one of these business people. Yeah. And when she turns around to go get a drink, he says that he wants to stab the bartender and play with her blood. So this is the first time we yeah. realize that something's not right with Patrick And they're immediately Bateman. like, hmm, what? Uh, but she has no reaction to this. Yeah. They have no reaction. They just assume he's making some weird non sequitur. Then we get this his elaborate morning routine where he yeah, puts so on, Yeah, so we like, are introduced to the— Health to Patrick Bateman, health and fitness obsessed businessman. He uses so many lotions, so many lotions. Puts on an anti-aging mask and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and he's and he's got and he does so many crunches. There's so many crunches with a hot towel. Um, he sees his reflection in the Les Miserables poster, which is of course ironic <laughs> because when they later discuss Les Miserables, they see it as like a a cultural prestige thing that they can afford the tickets when they don't realize the story is actually about an underclass revolting. Well, I mean, that's kind of just the problem. I mean, that's just the irony of Broadway in general. Um. Right. But I think (laughs) class distinction and especially 80s capitalism is a major theme that's being satirized in this movie. Yes. And there's this amazing moment where, of course, he's peeling off the face mask and he has this monologue where he says, There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman some kind of abstraction but there is no real me only an entity something illusory and though i can hide my cold gaze and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable i simply am not there yeah so uh so and that's so creepy and i love yeah, it i love his narration I think mm-hmm. narr- I think the narration is done really, really well in this movie. So then he's in a car and they go through and they're playing the song "Walking on Sunshine." Which walking is on sunshine. sunshine. Weirdly enough, I was slightly reminded of Futurama in two ways um, by this mm-hmm. movie. One is the use of the song "Walking on Sunshine," and the other one is that whenever I think of '80s businessmen, I think of that one episode of Futurama. Where Fry meets a guy who was who was frozen in the '80s and was an '80s businessman, and then he teams up, and then they team up, and the '80s businessman corrupts Fry into an '80s businessman asshole, and then they sell the company 
to mom and like there's this whole thing with the stock market it's a really good episode but anyways um so he's going through his corporate office and he uh has an interaction with his secretary gene who he's very sexist to yeah because he's like come on you're pretty don't wear that outfit again don't wear that outfit again (laughs) so uh now they cut to him being in a car and yeah. he is with his fiance, who he barely interacts yeah, with. Yeah, he is dating, he is technically dating Evelyn, but he is having an affair right. with this other woman, Courtney. My favorite thing about this is Evelyn keeps talking, and he has, like, these headphones on, and he's like, I'm trying to listen to the new Robert Palmer the, tape. The Robert Palmer tape. And she's, she's like, what are you trying to do? And he's like, I'm trying to fit in. Yeah, I don't, like, why don't you just quit your job? I want to fit and I find that so interesting is that this movie's not just about a sociopath that goes out and kills people. That is part of what it's about, but it's also about a man that has adopted a social identity that is incredibly evil and allows yeah. him a lot of privilege and doesn't question his incredibly terrible actions. Yeah, like it's kind of it's weirdly about how capitalism can break people. At the end of the movie, he almost feels kind of trapped in this social identity yeah, that he's, he's like, created for himself. Yeah, cuz uh, as, because as the movie goes on, he's like, don't you realize I'm terrible? Why right. are you doing he's this? like, don't you realize that I'm a serial killer? And it's because this position that he has, this identity that he has, this circle of friends that he walks in is so obsessed with material possessions, <laughs> identity, and, you know, appearance that they don't, they probably wouldn't even care if he actually killed people. It's almost like that's basically how uh, all of capitalism works in the real world. I mean, they're not literally <laughs> serial killers as far as we're aware right da, 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 da. <laughs> i'm just saying if you yeah. wanted to be a serial killer this would be the time and the place to be one and i think that's part of what american psycho is about if you, you yeah know? if you if you were a, if you're if you're a rich man you know I, I feel like jeff bezos could probably be a serial killer and get away with it i mean yeah definitely. i'm not saying he is but definitely could he probably could so they go to a restaurant and there's this one of the incredibly hilarious lines in this movie and he says i'm on the verge of tears thinking that i might not get a decent table yeah and then i do the, the, a wave the, of relief, relief waves over me over me and it's awesome yeah <laughs> it's so funny to me how he kills people and he's so obsessed with these little things like how he appears to other people and prestige and image and appearance he's very ocd in a lot yeah. of ways um, he's narcissistic in quite and, yeah, a lot of ways and he's and he's very narcissistic as well and, well all mm-hmm. of them are kind of narcissistic because they're all obsessed with like what brand of suit they have and the font they use on their business cards <laughs> he's fairly certain that his friend timothy is having an affair with evelyn and he's having an affair with her friend who is engaged to lewis lewis being the gay man that hits on him at one point in the movie ah uh, yeah now that of all of the investor bros and assholes <laughs> lewis seems to be the most individual I don't think that it is an accident that the gay man that wrote the novel and then the woman that directed it made the gay man be the one person in this group of assholes to have the most unique personality. Yeah. Like, Lewis is probably the one that probably that probably would care if he found out that Patrick Bateman was a murderer. It's almost like know? the societal expectations of cisgender, heteronormativity, neurotypical create a sense of overly uh, privileged uh, society that feels exactly. like they can get away with anything. And think um, about there's it. actually a really fun scene, I don't know 
where I talk about this. I'll talk about it here. Where Lewis introduces the business, his business card, because he has seen everybody else obsessing over the business cards, particularly Patrick Bateman. He's like, look, I got a business card specifically to Pat. Mm -hmm. And Patrick Bateman was like, okay, cool. But he doesn't realize that Lewis likes him. I find that funny. There is, they're at dinner and they start <laughs> saying a bunch of bullshit. Don't, you should be worried about other things like the Sikhs killing the Israelis. Yeah, the, the Sikhs And then Patrick Bateman goes off on this whole, He like, goes off on this hilariously. <laughs> like, it's completely nonsensical and contradictory rant about, like, the nature of society and how we need to like uplift the working class but also not and he's like, like merging every single buzzword that's ever been used in a speech he's like yeah we have to bring back moral values while helping those while encouraging equality right it's like if it like if this if this were set today he would he would have said diversity and inclusion like six times like <laughs> exactly it's so obvious that he's not genuine he's being completely disingenuous he's over there come on bryce there are a lot more important problems in Sri Lanka to worry about. Like what? Well, we have to end apartheid for one, and slow down the nuclear arms race, stop terrorism, and world hunger. We have to provide food and shelter for the homeless, and oppose racial discrimination, and promote civil rights, while also promoting equal rights for women. We have to encourage a return to traditional moral values. Most importantly, we have to promote general social concern unless materialism in young people. <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> how thought-provoking. Uh, so then there's a terrifying scene where he meets a woman on the road and there's like this singing woman in the background in the soundtrack that goes, like that <laughs> yeah and then hard cut to him arguing with some asian ladies over the blood on his on his bed sheets oh yeah it's it, yeah because he's like you can't get the stain out you can't so the woman was probably killed and, oh and you know. she and he also says during the scene if you don't shut your fucking mouth i will kill you <laughs> Again, shows how you know, rich white assholes can get away with anything. This movie is a lot like a satire, in my yes, opinion. It is very it's, satirical. One of the big satirical elements that keeps coming back is Dorcia, this extremely high-end restaurant that nobody can get a re reservation for. When one of the guys came in earlier in the movie, they were like, I got a reservation for Dorcia. And they were like, how did he get that? What? <laughs> Dorcia? Why aren't we Dorcia? Dorcia. Dorcia's nice. Dorcia. This is Dorcia? Dorcia. How impressive. I got an 8.30 res at Dorcia. Dorcia on Friday night. How do you swing that? We should have gone to Dorcia. Stop getting a reservation at Dorcia now, you fucking stupid bastard! Dorcia? Dorcia. Dorcia is fine. Uh, Dorcia, yes. And this is the whole thing, is that all these people, they have such empty lives. Like, yeah. they talk to each other, but they never actually speak. They're all, like, like how other miserable people to one and another. don't have, like, real conversations about anything other than, like, again, what brand of soup they have. Or right. the, how they frame their business card. Like, they don't have conversations about their actual lives or interests. Because they don't have actual because they lives. Don't They're have all the lives. same person. Yeah. Which again gets into the misidentifications that happen all the way throughout this movie. Yeah, because because pa Patrick Bateman like poses as a lot of different people. He's thought to be Marcus Haberstrom, and then later on, uh, later on, his lawyer calls him Davis, which is bizarre. Yeah. There's a lot of mistaken identity in this movie where people because they're all so interchangeable. All, all these like, men. Basic, yeah, they're they're all. They're all the same person. person. <laughs> they're all misogynistic, racist ass 
assholes yeah, with way that, too much money. Because they're 80s businessmen. <laughs> yes. So he he says that it's cranberry juice when Victoria comes in and asks him what the blood in his sheets yeah. are. And this is before we actually see him kill anybody as well. Right. I should point out. So he calls Courtney, who's his mistress, and is thinking about taking her to Dorsey. And by the way, while this is going on, he has extreme pornography going on in the background, which is, is so wrong to call someone with that going on in the background on his television. Yeah. He just has porn on TV just in just the regularly. living room. Like right. Uh, so he calls and gets laughed at. And then uh, he's like, but I want to take you to Dorcia. And then Courtney's like, you want to take me to Dorcia? So he, she's like drugged out because... She has, like, bipolar disorder and has to be taking, like, lithium, which is, like, a mood stabilizer. And Courtney is actually a very interesting character because, like, she kind of likes Patrick Bateman, but it's yeah, very kinda. obvious that he has no feelings at all besides disgust. Yeah. So they go to Barcadia, which he claims yeah. is Dorcia, even though it's not because she's too <laughs> drugged up to notice, yeah. just solely so that he can uh, have a better image. There's also the great scene where they're at work and... Um, the guy comes over to him, I think it's Paul Allen, and he's like, Haberstram, how you doing? And he's like, I'm doing good. And he just plays along with being called Haberstram. Yes, that does happen. And then we get to the famous business card scene, which is amazing. Yes, the business card you know? scene. But of course, before this, Lewis compliments his suit, and he's like, oh, is that, is that, and he touches him, and he's, he whips his hand away, yes, he's like, get off me, don't, don't touch me. So they share business cards, and Patrick shows his off, bone. And then he's like, mine is Cillian Braille, bone. <laughs> he's like, that's really cool, Patrick, but you ain't seen nothing yet so they all compare <laughs> business cards and it gets so intense like it zooms in on his face he's like sweating and he's like i can't believe bryce preferred van Patten's card to mine and it just sets him off yeah and the joke is that all of them look exactly the fucking same it's all <laughs> the same white background same placement of the names pretty they much have the, the same, same phone numbers on each of the cards the oh yeah they do they do have they the do. same phone numbers it's they have the same phone number in all the cards and also the word acquisition and mergers and acquisition is misspelled <laughs> oh my god on all of the cards is it misspelled in the same way <laughs> yeah there's oh no my c fucking yeah it's literally all the only difference is the name on the card like that's Which... literally it <laughs> <laughs> and the font and the, know, and, and the, the font slightly <laughs> like look at this that is really nice. Eggshell with Romalian type. What do you think? Nice. Jesus. <laughs> that is really super. How a nitwit like you get so tasteful? <laughs> I can't believe that Bryce prefers Van Patten's card to mine. But wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. Raised lettering. Pale nimbus. White. Impressive. Very nice. Mm. Let's see Paul Allen's card. Look at that subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my god. It even has a watermark. Something wrong? Patrick? You're sweating. What's interesting, what, what I find so interesting about uh, Patrick Bateman in this movie is that it's not regular things that set off serial killers. Like, it's not, you know, seeing someone that reminds them of their mother or their girlfriend or something like that. Yeah. He abuses people purely because he feels undermined. He describes himself as having this, like, insatiable bloodlust. 
Like, right. he just has this overwhelming desire just to kill people for no reason. Right, but his triggers aren't, like, trauma. His triggers are feeling that somebody is better than him. Yeah, actually. It's almost entirely narcissistically related when he decides to kill people. Of course, though, later on, he does have a psychotic break and kills a bunch of people, but yeah. we'll get to that. <laughs> that scene is honestly one of my favorite scenes in uh, film history. I love it so much. It's a very good scene. So Patrick approaches a homeless person. Oh, yeah, so then we can't... I wrote it, I wrote it my notes oh god it's crime alley and he he's like well have you tried having a job you gotta pick yourself up did you lose your job like why Mm -hmm. why don't you get a job was it alcoholism yeah was it (laughs) he is such a dick and um then he like opens his briefcase and the guy thinks that he's going to help him and then he just stabs him to death yeah he just stabs him i feel like he it almost looks like he rips the guy's heart out (laughs) yeah probably and then he kills the dog also you know it's ironic that like christian bale five years after this would of course play batman when Patrick Bateman is a Batman villain. Yeah, he's like, he, he's like the Joker in this. I I wrote later in my notes, he has this laugh where I was like, he could he could have been the Joker. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's because Christian Bale has, this is really shows off how good of an actor Christian Bale is because he just goes yeah. balls to the wall, nothing held back. I'm going to make this as psychotic and crazy as possible. Yeah. I think the scene where he kills the homeless person, of course, is also related to the themes of class division in this movie. Yeah, because he assumes that the homeless guy has or doesn't have a job because Mm -hmm. the homeless guy sucks when it's really terrible circumstances that befell the homeless guy because capitalism (laughs) and i think it's also that he has ascended to this high place in society because if he feels like he'll fit in there his notions of what it means to be a man because he has an absence of identity at the core of him. Yeah. He, Must have come from, like, the media. Yeah, the superficial trappings of masculinity. Adulthood. Right. That um, you need to make a bunch of money, that you need to act a certain way. And he unknowingly becomes this social monster, as well as being this actual killer. But the killer, ironically, is actually a more, like, it's closer to, if, if he had a self, that is who he is. Y- is the psychotic a, version sense, of him. Yes. Yeah. So then we cut to the Christmas party. Oh. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I get I get off track because it's so cool. It's fine. It's a it, there's a lot of great character drama. You forgot about the tanning scene. Oh yes, the tanning. So he's tanning, and he must have some knowledge of his sociopathic behavior because he refers to. Because he says to... he has like a nightly bloodlust, and it's creeping right. into the day. But specifically, he says the mask of sanity is slipping. Ah, yeah. The mask of sanity, of course, being a psychological description of how psychopaths behave. Uh, further uh, and and uh, also further bizarrely prophetic uh, Batman parallels. He says about the two emotions that he feels, which are greed and disgust. Yes, those are his only yeah. two genuine emotions, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> So they're at the Christmas party, and Patrick pretends to be Haberstrom as he has dinner with Alan. When Alan comes over and starts talking to Patrick as if he's Haberstrom, Patrick intentionally mistakes Alan for Patrick. Yes. He's like, oh, you're Patrick. Oh, I'm sorry, Alan. (laughs) And after asking if someone is Ivana Trump, uh, Trump shows up several times in this, Yeah, there's a few Trump references, which, um... Because in the book, it actually says that he idolizes Trump. Which, um, makes him even less sympathetic. Exactly. Yeah. This movie is, again, I think, very prophetic towards um, a lot of the issues that we deal with today. Trump, white cis men getting away with shit, wealth inequality. 
And don't forget where bit that that white bit where that rich man orders a Corona. Yes. That does also happen. I forgot about the ridiculous order that they have at the Barcadia. He's like, she'll have a peanut butter soup. Yeah, a peanut butter <laughs> soup with like a mollusk. It's the most ridiculously it's the, fancy food. It's the stupidest food. thing I've ever heard. And <laughs> yeah, and of course there is the J&B straight in a Corona, which I wrote. No, not the Corona. <laughs> I'm st I'm still so surprised the Corona beer hasn't changed their name yet. I don't. I think they're waiting it out. So then he mm. uh, lures Pat. He lures uh, Alan back to his home, where we have the. Oh you like God. Huey this, Lewis in the news. This might be my favorite scene in the movie. So he puts on Huey Lewis in the news, <laughs> and he gives. Hip to be square. Yeah, it, it's hip to be square specifically, and he goes on this actually really in-depth sort of lecture about Huey Lewis and the News, like the band and their history. <laughs> He's actually a surprisingly good music professor. I disagree, because uh, a lot of the things that he likes in these music is just the stuff that okay, what, okay, reinforces how he sees the world. Okay, like, okay, well, whether or not you agree with his taste, you know, is a, is a matter of subjection. His but in terms taste of, is absolutely terrible in but this it, movie. But in terms of, like, the things he's talking about, you know, if he, if, if he wasn't... You know, if he wasn't only doing this when he went off on homicidal rampages, he might be a decent music professor. But the thing is, he he talks about this incredibly, in my opinion, I know there's Huey Lewis fans. I like Huey. Incredibly yeah. mediocre music oh, that was popular on. in the 1980s oh, and, and relates to it deep significance, which mostly is just him blathering about how good it is to be normal and unseen and surviving, you know? Except All things that he thinks that he's doing. You like Huey Lewis on the news? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humor. In 87, Huey released this. Four, their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of friends. It's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! that he uh chops him up with an axe yeah he chops he chops up jared leto with an axe which i find as you should what as you should which i find hilarious uh, especially now because obviously as we mentioned christian bale batman jared mm -hmm. leto became the joker in that in that one version we don't like to talk about there's connections here batman finally killed the joker i'd like to talk about this a bit more because there's more wacky things we have to talk about mm -hmm. for instance when he's in his monologue he puts on a raincoat and then takes an yes, anti-psychotic drug yes he does and then immediately after he paul allen's like is that a raincoat and he's like yes yes it is, yes, it is. <laughs> and then immediately after he cuts him up he's yeah. like try getting a reservation at dorsey and now you fucking also okay so so the, okay so the thing is so here's the thing about it's hip to be square uh -huh. there's you there's a few different songs that come up in regular rotation on the radio at my job mm -hmm. one of them is it's hip to be square <laughs> up to this point 
Whenever I hear that song, all I've thought of is, it's hip to fuck, bees. <laughs> yeah. But now you have something new to think but about. But now I can think about Christian Bale chopping off Jared Leto's head with an axe. Yeah. And also, it's hip to fuck, bees. <laughs> so he goes into Paul Allen's apartment and leaves a, a hilarious recording on his messenger that says, Hi, this is Paul Allen. I'm Ooh, out to Paul London. <laughs> so then he thinks he has everything figured out. And then Detective Donald Kimball shows up, of course, played by Willem Dafoe, who's amazing in this movie. Willem Dafoe! Oh, yes! And he's been hired by Paul's wife, Meredith, to find out where he went. Yeah. Uh, which is funny, because he immediately is like, Would you like a drink? Would you like a drink? And he's like, No, I'm fine. He's like, Come get him a drink. And it's the most bizarre form of hospitality, sending up all these red flags. And Bateman, you know? throughout this whole thing, is just like, at one point, he says of, like, he's he's asking to describe Paul, Paul Allen. <laughs> at one point, he just says, I think he was a closet homosexual who did a lot of cocaine. <laughs> which, that's true for Lewis, but that's not true uh but the cocaine thing is probably true the gay thing probably isn't true. well i mean everyone did cocaine in the 80s so like. but i like how he, he called it that yale thing yeah the yale thing he called being gay that yale thing and homosexuality comes up more than once in this movie which leads to the interpretation is patrick bateman a closeted bisexual man and that he's suppressed his his desire and that is part of the reason for his consistent psychotic break and lack of identity because remember the scene with lewis when he tries to kill lewis and he uh gets you know he gets approached by lewis in a romantic way he doesn't kill lewis he's disgusted but at who at himself <laughs> Because if he was disgusted at the person approaching mm. him, he would have killed him. Like he kills everybody else that he's disgusted by. So does he have does he have some level of internalized homophobia? Right, that's mm. one interpretation of Patrick Bateman's character is that it's a story about not only capitalism in the 1980s and how horrible Reaganomics were. Yeah, they, they, they were really bad. But also about internalized homophobia. So we cut yeah. to uh, him in his room and he does 1,000 crunches to the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, he does. Yeah, Christian Bale's... <laughs> Yeah, you, here we see uh, Christian Bale uh, work. Uh, Christian Bale's workout routine for his movies, <laughs> which, by the way, again shows how he doesn't understand art or media. He thinks that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the ending, isn't something horribly disturbing, and is instead something to do crunches to. <laughs> Yeah, it's, what? His, it's his workout playlist. It's all kinds of fucked up. Which, of course, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre itself was about the death of the hippie and the rise of the new conservative Americana. Take that as you will with this being about Reagan. So anyway. So he picks up a hooker and calls an escort service. He's like, I want a blonde woman. Specifically blonde. Specifically blonde. He draws a bath for yeah. the person that he calls Christy and objectifies her, which, yeah. you know, she's okay with it because she's getting a bath and a bunch of money at this point. So, yeah, so they go back to, I forget whether it's his apartment or it's someone else's apartment that he just broke into. I think it might be Paul Allen's apartment. Because right. he says when he goes into Paul Allen's apartment that he's jealous. Because, his, because Paul Allen's apartment is nicer than his apartment. Right, right. Yeah. After he kills Paul Allen, there's this hilarious line where he's like, I was terrified to realize that Paul Allen's apartment was nicer than mine. Yeah, so he takes <laughs> them into Paul Allen's apartment, which I guess he's... The other one being Sabrina. Yeah, yeah. So he takes them in... So he takes these two women to Paul Allen's apartment, which I guess he's... Not quite home. blonde. Not quite More blonde. dirty blonde. And he goes off on another music lecture about, about, Je Phil about Genesis and Phil Collins. This is again shows that his knowledge of music is so blasé and uninteresting because he's like he's it's commercial music. Like if, right. if he were to run a class about commercial popular music, 
which is a worthy field of study. I think right. he would. I think he would probably teach it very well if it weren't for the fact that every time he does a music lecture, he does a murder. Right, but but here's the thing: is that most people <laughs> agree that Genesis before Phil Collins entered it was better. Okay, <laughs> but he's like. I didn't really get into Genesis until Phil Collins came on board. <laughs> People like Phil Collins era Genesis, like. Okay, but Phil Collins era Genesis is <laughs> like really disposable pop music, in my opinion. And, and I don't like Phil and Collins, he, and even he doesn't like Phil Collins after he leaves Genesis. Well, yeah, because he, is, I, I'm one of the people who will defend Phil Collins' solo work, and maybe that's be just because I have nostalgia for the Tarzan soundtrack. But probably I will defend. I think his solo work is perfectly fine. And I, so and puts... I like coming in the air. To, I can feel it coming in the air. Oh, tonight. I like that. Song. So he plays the studio. Well, not assaulting because they have a, they have a consensual threesome at first. And there's the hilarious line where he's like talking very artsily about this piece of music. And he's like, Sabrina, bend over so she, so she can see your ass. Yeah. <laughs> so wrong. It's so wrong on so many levels. He orders them around with a video camera, and oh, then he has yeah. sex with them while staring at himself in the mirror like Narcissus. Why do I get the feeling this is something that Donald Trump has attempted? Probably. Yeah. Which, by the way, that scene just makes me laugh hysterically, because <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing to see Christian Bale uh, having sex with a woman and then staring at his muscles in the mirror like, oh yeah, Man, this I del- really got it. Man, this deleted <laughs> scene from Batman Begins is bizarre. Man, they were taking that movie in a very different direction. (laughs) So he wakes up, and then he's like, I'm not done with you guys yet. And he takes out a coat hanger, and it's implied that he violated them with a coat hanger. Yeah. Which is disturbing. So then we cut to the men uh, talking at a restaurant the next day. And the way these men talk about women, they may as well have just done that. Yeah, they objectify. They they are very much objectifying them. Right. Talking about how, like... You know, if a girl has a good personality or is smart, that's only because she's ugly. And then he shares an Ed Gein quote. You know who Ed Gein is, right? Um, so Ed Gein was a guy from somewhere out in the Midwest. His mother died, and he was very attached to his mother. He probably killed his brother. Hmm. He was a grave robber that basically decorated his, his home with body parts. Oh. And it's turning into a true crime pro- podcast, <laughs> by the way. A true crime podcast. And um, he killed two people that we know about, but he probably killed three people. Ed Gein was the inspiration for Norman Bates. Oh. Which, by the way, Bates, Patrick Bateman. Um, I get it. Uh, Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And mm. also Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs. Oh. So there's been a lot of cultural mileage done with Ed Gein. So he, sh- he shares an Ed Gein quote with everybody and uh, he's like, you know what a, a, a woman, what he said about women? That their heads would look good on sticks. And yeah. he starts laughing and nobody else laughs. No, well, they he, he says, like, I think about two things when I think about women. When I, I you know, I want to take her home, treat her right. What's the, and what does the other part of your brain think? What her head would look like on a fucking stick. He starts laughing hysterically at this, but everybody else and looks around. And everyone else like, is just uh. like, fuck. <laughs> so Lewis shows off his new business card. Yes. To, to Patrick Bateman and thinking that it would impress him. And <laughs> he is so worked up about this new business card that it looks better than his that he goes to the bathroom to try and kill Lewis. And he wraps his arms around the back of his neck and lewis turns around is like patrick and then he kisses his hands like why here i saw you looking at me (laughs) oh my god and this is the only person that patrick doesn't kill and i think that's important i think there is definitely something going on there with the whole internalized homophobia it's a possibility yes yeah uh, so the detective shows up and asks him out to lunch after spoiling his alibi. Because he yeah. was like, where were you on this night? And he's like, well, I was here. And he's like, that's not what I heard. Um, okay, well, I think before that, there's also that bit where one of the other one of the other business people has this conversation with a woman 
where he's like, you know, there's this theory that if you can just catch the AIDS virus, you can catch the anything. You can catch dyslexia. <laughs> through sex, you can cast dyslexia. Through, through, it's like, yeah, it's the most ridiculous that's thing. That's not how diseases work. And there's also right. the guy, I forget whether it's Bateman or one of the other guys, who says, well, you keep it down, I'm trying to do drugs. <laughs> oh, that's the guy in the other stall, and, and that's when he calls him the F-slur. Oh, yeah. yes. yes. Um, so Patrick has sex with his mistress, Courtney, and then Patrick goes to a coke party, and that's where that just happened. Yes. And then somebody asks him, what do you do? And he's like, I'm into murders and executions. <laughs> and then she's like, mergers and acquisitions. I've heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people. A lot of people like it. <laughs> so Patrick takes home a model and steals some of her hair. Creepy, because he probably yeah. murdered her. He is super sexist toward his secretary again. Oh, there's also the bit where I wrote. Uh, mm -hmm. There's also the bit where when he's out lunch with right. Willem Dafoe, mm -hmm. and Willem Dafoe says, "Like after all, like you trying to, you know, someone murdering a man, man, and tr attempting to, you know, th th take his place would just be crazy." And he has this expression where it's like, Defoe de knows! <laughs> like, Willem Defoe definitely knows something's up. He's like yeah. a really good detective in this. Um, and it actually makes me question whether or not Pat Bateman actually got away with it after Man, all. Man, the Green um, Goblin is in this movie too. So great, yeah. the most ambitious comic crossover. So as Jean, the secretary, is leaving, he asks her out to dinner and then it's like, you should probably wear something different. And she's like, where would you want to go? And she's like, Dorcia. So Dorcia comes back. Yes. They don't go to Dorcia. So Patrick Bateman's like, you should meet me at my uh, place beforehand because he's yeah. decided to try and kill her. Right. So he opens his fridge and there's a severed head in there. Yes, there is. And then he's like, sorbet. <laughs> sorbet. <laughs> and he thinks about killing Jean. He asks her what she wants to do with her life. And he asks her if she's fulfilled. And he gets some duct tape. Yeah, this is where he gets the duct tape. Yeah. And he says, did you know Ted Bundy? Yeah, Ted Bundy had a dog named Lassie. Yeah. And she's like, who's Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy? And he's like, never mind. Um, he goes off and then a, she doesn't he go off sorry. on another music lecture at this point as well? <laughs> no, no, this is much more intimate and much more like he knows this person and mm. since he knows this person killing her would be stepping over a line he hasn't crossed yet which uh, is killing people that he knows you know besides paul allen yeah um she, she asked if he ever wanted to make someone happy before and i think this actually triggers something in him about his identity mm -hmm. He thinks about shooting her in the head with a nail gun. Then Evelyn uh, starts talking on the voicemail, and she's like, you're still with her? She's like, I, I better leave. And he's like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And she's like, do you want me to leave? And he's like, if you don't leave, I think something bad will happen to you. And I don't think I'll be able to control myself. Yeah. Which, it's, it's interesting, because you see Patrick Bateman be mag magnanimous. And that's bizarre to see a serial killer let somebody go, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because I, th I think on some level he likes her and he feels yeah. sorry for her. If he had any feelings besides greed and disgust, it was for Jean, I think. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe because he sensed, he probably sensed like a sadness in her, I think. Because she, she doesn't seem to like her job very much, which, why would you? Yeah, um, you're working get, Just for... get objectified all day. Yeah. Good. So the detective discovers that Halberstram never went to lunch with Paul Allen. Right. This uh, triggers Patrick Bateman to be like, oh god, I'm fucking scared now. So he goes to, back to Christy and asks to talk to her. And he gives her money and a check for the surgery that she's gonna need because of the coat hanger incident. Right. Um, and then offers yeah. her more money to come back again to his apartment to meet Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Pat drugs the shard 
Bonet while they're there, and Elizabeth calls her drug dealer, and it's like, oh, why isn't he here at 3 a.m.? Yeah, 3 a.m., these are the peak hours. What happens next is Patrick Bateman's like, you guys should get it on, and then she's like, with a woman? Oh, yeah, he wants, yeah, he wants girl-on-girl act. Uh, and the director of the, the movie is not only a woman, but also a feminist, and uh, a lesbian, I think, also. I think she might be a lesbian, but she writes about lesbians a lot. So, there's an interesting scene that happens when he's giving his little speech on music, where, uh, she actually, the two girls look way happier than any other couple has in this movie. Yeah. Almost like lesbians ain't got hang-ups like men do. Lesbians are the, the master race. <laughs> you know, I should have an argument for that, but I don't. <laughs> Just Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah, it's Whitney Houston. That's right. He's talking right. about, like, so, her, her, like, first solo album. Like, her, yeah, and he's like, you think he's gonna say something profound, and then he says, did you know? Yeah, did you know that on Whitney Houston's first album, simply titled Whitney Houston. She had four hit singles. <laughs> four number one. Four number one singles. singles. Yeah. You think he's gonna say something profound, and then he says something that's just a fact. He just goes off about about Whitney Houston. Yeah. Whether or not your music gets popular, it doesn't mean it's good. It just means that people like. Right. Yeah. To him, though, he thinks that if something is super popular, if something is normal and widespread, that it is the height of art. Yeah, because, because his he, logic he... is if everyone likes it, that must mean it's the best thing. Which to be right. fair, is, you know, a relatively, you know, logical conclusion to come to if you're not... It's not it's, correct, but... Right. It's driven by the drive inside of him to try and fit in with other people. Yes. You know, he's like, I want to fit in, and his entire perspective is shaped by that. Yeah, therefore, I listen to popular music, and he probably just, like, watches popular movies. Yeah. So Elizabeth falls off yeah, the couch, like and uh, then it cuts to them having sex, and Pat kills Elizabeth. Yeah, she gets smothered to death. Chrissy runs down the stairs and finds the women hung in the closet, which yikes. Yeah. On the walls are written, die yuppie scum. Now this is die very interesting. yuppie scum. Because uh, yuppie nowadays is used to mean white people that come in and gentrify urban neighborhoods. Yuppie, yeah. as it was meant in the 1980s, meant white people on Wall Street. White men specifically. So he's saying die himself. Literally you know? the description of this of this movie on uh, on on Peacock describes him as a yuppie. Um so that gets into something interesting. He must have written it cuz he's in Paul Allen's apartment and you know nobody else is there. Is there some sort of internalized hatred that he has for this new identity because it is really starting to trap him. Yeah, I think, think he it. does kind of hate his own self, but he also he has a lot of like self-loathing. But he also, but he also is, doesn't know any other way to live. Like, right, he, he's simultaneously extremely self-loathing and self-aggrandizing at the same time. Yeah, he's a self-loathing narcissist. Yes. So he chases after her naked with a chainsaw. Yeah, he cry, yeah, this is where the chainsaw happens. And then he just drops the chainsaw on a woman at one point. And then he just screams at the top of his lungs. He breaks up with Evelyn uh, at, when they go out to lunch. And he's like, yeah. you're just not terribly important to me. And like, then she poor, starts crying. Poor, poor Evelyn. Yeah. Damn. But hey, you know, she's getting out of something. And to be fair, <laughs> she, yeah, she's, she, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's she, sad that he, it's sad that she was even in it. And she's, she's like, but your friends are my friends. And he's like, it's fine, you can have my friends. And she's like, you're really serious about this. Why would you do this? He brings back the old, the old, um, excuse he had before. I have to return some videotapes. So he goes outside and the ATM says, feed me a stray cat. <laughs> and he picks up the cat and starts trying to shove it into the ATM and try, gets a gun out and tries to shoot it. But then an old lady comes by and it's like, what are you doing? And uh, he shoots the old lady. The cops come. He runs away. He shoots the cops. The cop car explodes. <laughs> yeah, the cop car and fucking explodes. 
Yeah. And he, he starts looking at his gun like, what? Yeah, because he gets into a gunfight. And this yeah. is the first time he's ever, like, used a... Actually used a gun as a murder weapon. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. My, my dad's interrupting me. Oh. <laughs> yes, I want eggs! Sorry. <laughs> Dad, stop whispering. Stop whispering at me. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. So he sees a helicopter come after him and he's like hiding in his apartment. He calls his lawyer. Oh, I also like the bit where he like goes into the apartment building. And yeah, and he just shoots the guy. Is, is like like burning the midnight oil, eh? Don't forget to sign in. Bang! <laughs> And he shoots him in the head, and then he yeah, comes to the, to the to the head. <laughs> he shoots comes to the other guy, and he just signs his name. And you think he's about to take like gun out of his pocket, but he takes a pen. It's yeah, he great. just takes the pen out. So he calls his lawyer, and he's having a complete psychic he's mental like, breakdown. You're my lawyer, so I think you should know I killed a lot of people. Five to ten of them were homeless people. <laughs> he killed an f-word with a dog. Um, I, I killed a woman a with a chainsaw. Um, he says. Overall, I've killed about 20 to 40 people. Yeah. I ate their brains. I ate their brains. Yeah, Bateman's a cannibal. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, you can catch something from eating human brains. Uh, you can get... Um, it's basically an inflammation of the brain, which may be resulting from his increasingly deteriorating mental state. And this is why we don't do cannibalism, apart from, you know, apart from the obvious ethical concerns. <laughs> right. He says a lot of it's on videotape. Which is, yikes. Wait, oh man, does, okay, wait, if, if a lot of it is on videotape, does that mean when he returned those videotapes to the video store, was he returning videotapes of his own murders to, like, this just random blockbuster or whatever? Like, what No, happened? no, no. <laughs> returning videotapes is a euphemism for him going out and killing okay, someone. Okay, I mean, I know, I mean, I know that's what it really is, but I just find that idea really funny, is that <laughs> he puts the videotapes of his murder into blockbuster cases, and puts them <laughs> in the blockbuster return slot, and so well, then he get caught. Yeah, and so then, and just imagining the poor little girl who rented, who just rented some movie and finds a tape of a murder. Oh my god! Oh god! No. So then he says, "I guess I'm a pretty sick guy." Yeah. So yeah, um, call me back. Yeah. So the next day, he showers and picks his clothes. He leaves his apartment in a face mask because he's going to try and clean up the bodies at, least at Paul knows Allen's how apartment. To properly wear a mask. Yes. Yes. The, but the bodies are gone. The real estate agent tells her, him not to come back again. And this gets into the twist ending of was it all real? And I'd like to get your yeah. opinion on it. So, Do you think it was real? Yeah. The things that happened in okay, this movie. Okay. So the thing that so, okay. So here's the okay. So the thing that plays into this is that when he goes back to, like, the restaurant, and he's making this confession to one of the other business guys, like, I killed Paul Allen, I chopped his fucking That was off. his lawyer. That was his lawyer that he called. Yeah, that was his lawyer that he called. And he also, he meets up with, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And he's like, that's impossible. I met, I had dinner with Paul in London twice. He's like, mm -hmm. no, you didn't. Which implies that either Paul was alive the whole time or that it's someone impersonating paul no that like i don't think so because uh i think it's what's more likely is that it's a case of mistaken identity again because well, all well, these yuppies look alike yeah well that's kind of what i mean by like yeah someone un unintentionally impersonating paul most likely <laughs> um right. yeah so do you want to hear my opinion of what is and isn't real in this movie okay sure so I think everything up until the ATM scene happened. That all happened. 
Once the ATM scene happens, we see a hallucination where he sees the ATM say, feed me a stray cat. Right. Now, after that, he shoots an old woman and shoots a cop car and explodes, which is, of course, ludicrous, you know? And then he goes back to his apartment and has paranoid delusions that there's helicopters all around him. That part seems unreal to me. I think everything from the ATM to when he calls his lawyer, it didn't happen. I mean, I think the call or to the lawyer happen obviously in the, happened. In the way, yeah, it didn't happen in the exact in that exact way. Remember, yes. it was established earlier in the scene where Paul Allen was murdered that he took an antipsychotic. Right. M- most likely, he was off of his antipsychotic when this these events happened, which caused the hallucinations that he had. I think. Oh. Um, the fact that he took an antipsychotic also gives more credence to the idea that he did actually kill Paul Allen. Not to mention the fact that there's the whole detective subplot. It seems like Paul Allen's disappearance was a real thing that did happen, but that now is getting mistaken as like, oh, he just ran off because all the yuppies are interchangeable, (laughs) which puts it goes into the misidentification theme throughout this movie. Yes. But more than that, I think the whole did it happen or didn't it happen question overshadows the real point of the movie, which is it doesn't matter. Because yeah. the environment and social circle he runs in means that they would protect him and they would not care anyway because they see him as they see themselves, which is just another misogynistic asshole businessman obsessed with appearance and also that have kind, no inner lives. And also kind of as a know? metaphor for Reagan specifically because they exactly. show Reagan on the news saying right. like the exact thing that Bateman was saying in the beginning with all the buzzwords. Um, right. And um, they, the one guy says, how can he lie like that? Because they're talking about the Iran-Contra scandal. Yeah. And he says, you know, he must know deep down that, you know, inside that it's not true. And then we get Bateman's piece of narration where he says, but inside doesn't matter. And that's because I think he, this almost feels like a tragic ending for Patrick Bateman. It is, if, yeah. If he could have confessed to his lawyer and then gotten arrested for his murders that would have been it would have been catharsis, catharsis for him but right as he says i have no catharsis this confession, i am stuck this, this confession, confession has is... meant nothing exactly because nothing was accomplished he got away with it he doesn't get any sort of stimuli in return mm-hmm. for what he did something should happen and it doesn't right hmm. um and it's almost like he's the only one in this social circle to realize how terrible he actually is and how terrible the circle of people he's in actually is. yeah the whole si- you know? how terrible the whole system is right yeah. and the re- if he killed those women in paul allen's apartment that means the real estate agent covered it up without anybody knowing because it was a high value apartment oh you know and that also makes sense why she said i think you should get out of here that was yeah. fairly aggressive the way she said that yeah you think about it um so, I, I think this whole idea of um, to be a yuppie in this era, to be in this social circle, mm. meant that you were killing off the individual inside you, in a way. And Patrick Bateman's individuality has been crushed by the end of this movie, if you think about it. Yeah. He can't even afford himself to be known as the psychotic killer that he is. Yeah, he can't even like give himself the individuality of being punished for his crimes like right he's trapped in like this almost kind of purgatory twilight zone-esque kind of way where he can't tell people it's but he also per- can't live as himself it's his own personal hell right hmm. it's like it reminds me a lot of the ending of hellraiser 5 inferno actually 
Yeah, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so yeah, what do you think of uh, American Psycho? I think it's great. It's one of the. It's genuinely one of the most intense and psychologically terrifying movies I have ever seen. And the fact that Christian Bale didn't get an Oscar for this is fucking criminal. Like, I agree. Jesus, what is what the hell is wrong with you, Academy? Like, <laughs> yeah. So American Psycho took what was in the book, which was very violent, and sort of subdued some of the violence and played up the dark humor. And I like that a lot because in that way, it emphasizes the more critical aspects of the narrative, particularly how it evaluates these yuppies and how they interact with women, how they interact with African-Americans, how they interact with people of lower classes than them, and how empty their lives are and how they see themselves. I think if there is a meaning to this movie or a moral, it is that superficiality is not a replacement for actually living. Appearance is not a replacement for having an inner life. And being yourself is more important than, you know, being up to date with all of the new music and having the most beautiful apartment. Because all that stuff, it's nonsense. It's material items, you know? And people that live that way, uh, if you live that way... Are doomed to snap. (laughs) Exactly. There could definitely have been an American psycho we don't know about that's just been protected by wealth and family and stuff They're like that honestly you know based yeah. on you know how much shit are are the people running our country have been involved in i would I, I would i would i would not be surprised if that was true to be perfectly honest right. which is a scary it, thought but like it reminds me of this one countess i forget her name but she was a historical serial killer uh, and she used her position as countess to lure many women like 600 women and killed them all in the medieval times it reminds me a lot of that. Someone at the mm-hmm. upper end of society being encased by and protected by the this sort of upper class. Um, I think it's a great movie. I love it a lot. And um, I'm really not looking forward if we ever have to see American Psycho 2. Yeah, because apparently that is they terrible. did actually make a sequel, believe it or not. Um, I don't yep. know why, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention also is that Reese Witherspoon played uh, uh, his wife, Evelyn. Yes. Yeah, she, she yeah. is also in this movie. Yes. All right, so I think we're going to reach the point where we decide what uh, new movie to watch. If you are new to this, what happens is I get a random number generator from 1 to 100, and then I go through and spin it and find the number, and that will show us which movie to watch. Now, Chris, of course, has the ability to veto the movie unless it's a prequel, sequel, or remake. So, yeah. Let's do it right now. The roulette wheel is spinning. All right, then. We got number 33, The Hills Have Eyes. The Hills Have Eyes. Is that the original or the remake? The original Wes Craven, Hills Have Eyes. Oh, hmm. I like it a lot. Okay. Yeah, we'll... we'll I'll, I'll keep that one. I, 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 let's let's keep that one. And what is Are our... Are you sure you don't want to veto? Just try and see if you can find something else? You know? uh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll risk the... Because... Vetoing now has a lot more risk because of the way the the sequel rule works. But I will right if we if we land on a sequel, we have to watch it. Yes. there's no choice involved. So I will, I will go ahead and take the risk with a with a veto. Yeah, and see what. The All right, we got is. number sixty. Number sixty is Highlander. <laughs> um, there can be only one. There can be only one. Um, okay, here's the thing. I I know for a fact that all of the Highlander sequels are 
apparently really bad. Well, so are the Hills of Eyes sequels. All right, so Highlander or the Hills of Eyes? I will go with, you know, just to shake things up with the genre, because I feel like we've done a lot of horror recently. Um, Yeah. So just to shake things up with the genre, I'm going to go with Highlander, because it's fantasy. All right. Yeah. We got Highlander in the books. All right. And then what will be our the second film? All right. We just spun the wheel and we got number nine. Number nine is Psycho. Oh, nice. Definitely. definitely Would you like to uh, veto? See what you can get also? Ah, screw it. I'll, I'll, I'll veto. Let's see what the other option is. All right. We got number 63. What is number 63? Oh, it is The Running Man starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> wow. Um, You know, I already did the genre mix up last time and since... Psycho. I, I'm gonna go with Psycho. I'll go with Psycho's Psycho. got sequels though. Apparently, Psycho Two is like good though. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're going to watch Highlander and uh, Psycho. Yeah, Highland. Yeah, Highlander and Psycho. That will be in about three weeks. And normally it's every other week. But when I was making the schedule, I did accidentally do a little bit of a flub and not put a roulette between our next episode and the episode for the week after but I didn't mm-hmm. feel like changing it because it was literally the only time I did it when I was making the schedule. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I hope you all enjoyed the this space cast. Mm-hmm. Martians are real. They live underground. They're coming for me. Yeah, I hope you all enjoy. I hope you will... Pew, uh, pew. I hope you will come back next week where we are concluding Steven Universe Future. We're doing the second half. I'm very much yes. looking forward to that. And in the meantime, this has been Hipster and the Nerd. We do this every week. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a lot of a uh, few other platforms. Please, you know, leave us a nice review. Spread the word on social media. Hashtag Hipster and the Nerd. Help us grow the show. I am Chris Hanna. You can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and on Letterboxd. And Brian, where can they find you? There is an idea of a Brian Brown. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and though you made sense that we share a similar taste in movies. I simply <laughs> am not there. But I am on Twitter at Brian Brecker. And you can find me on Letterboxd at bbreck2. Well, I, think that, I think that one's my favorite one that you've done so far. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you everybody for listening. We will see you next time. Something is watching. Something is listening. Something is coming. How would you like to see the world the way it really is? What's going on here? Detective Harry Damour is walking a path. I want you to help me. Will you take the job, Mr. Damour? Where do I sign up? Between what can be seen. People are dying here. I want to know why I've heard a name. Somebody they talk about in whispers. Who? Nick's. And what must be feared? Nick's is dead and buried. What the hell is wrong with you people? Haven't you seen enough to know that doesn't matter? No. I don't want him getting in the way. We've always waited too long to have the homecoming spoiled. Every step he takes. Drone. The dark side. You don't like that. Not much. It's your destiny. Accept it. Brings him closer to the truth. He could get into people's heads. Make them see things. Terrible things. See, that's his best trick. No illusions, just the truth. If Nix is back from the dead, then he is some kind of a god. 
In a world where magic is real, death is the ultimate illusion. I was born to murder the world. Are you ready for my wisdom? It's not real. Come with me, Damor. I've got so much power to give you. All you have to do is beg. Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions. think. Whoa, very nice. Patrick, you're so sweet. Jean? Yes, Patrick? Would you like to accompany me to dinner? Sabrina, why don't you dance a little? Christy, get down on your knees. We're not through yet. That's a wonderful suit. You look so soft. I don't think I can control myself. If you stay, something bad will happen. I feel lethal, on the verge of frenzy. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. any witnesses or fingerprints? Actually, yes. Hmm. You're inhuman. I know my uh, behavior can be erratic sometimes. Hey, Paul! So, what do you do? I'm into, uh, well, murders and executions mostly. I have all the characteristics of a human being, but not a single clear, identifiable emotion. I simply am not there. I, uh... <laughs> I just had <laughs> to kill a lot of people! 